Hello everyone, you are listening to the Igbo Initiative podcast with Ugochi Onyewu. Welcome to the show. Hello everyone, welcome to the Igbo Initiative podcast where we celebrate Igbo culture by speaking to amazing women in different walks of life who are either Igbo or have a very close tie to the Igbo culture. Today I talk to my funny, keep it real, dear friend Ada Ibe of Forum. Ada is an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. She's also the founder of the Common Ground Network. Common Ground is a 50 to 60 women strong network of women in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area formed in 2005. The network is formed with the premise that everyone needs a community to learn, laugh, share and make friendships. It was designed to be a natural network for mentorship questions and career guidance in a safe space. We had a very fun and relaxed chat about the strong emphasis placed on academic excellence growing up, the progress she has made immersing her children in Igbo and Nigerian culture, extroversion versus introversion, the goals for common ground in the future. Quite the reading maven, we also talk about her favorite books, what she would say to her younger self, being a nerd, What's next on a personal and spiritual level and keeping it real? Hi, Ada. Thank you so much for joining today. It's so nice to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Looking forward to the rest of this um, experience with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to having the audience get to know you a little bit better, as uh, a little bit, not, a, not quite as well as I know you, but uh, get an insight into you and... Uh, and your life. So I'm interested to hear your insights. Maybe you can start off by just talking to us a little bit about yourself, what it was like growing up with Igbo parents. How did being from an Igbo home motivate you to become who you are today? You know, when I think about my childhood, um, I think there have been, there were many influences. There was the influence of the kind of parents I had, whether that had more to do with the fact that they were Igbo or not. I'm not 100% sure, but very unique. Um, Mm -hmm. There's also the influence of growing up in Nigeria, which has a way of shaping you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, my my parents, let me start with my dad. Um, Definitely the story of the underdog, you know, humble beginnings, his brain, his smarts, his wit is what got him into government college in Waihia. And, you know, the typical story you always hear, A1. Uh, hey, I got a scholarship to, um, to, to do undergrad in Toronto, and then he went to MIT. Um, and, you know, my mom also, just stories and stories of doing really well academically. And then she also went to MIT as well. So growing mm. up, the things that had the most value or the, the currency, basically, in which stories were based on, was always that person who just did so well, mm. no matter what their beginnings were. Mm. So I can, in fact, I could probably recite most of the people that went to my dad's secondary school, at least that were in his class of 1957. That's how much of a storyteller he was. Mm. I know who the school captain was. 
I know who came from the village <laughs> and made A1 and, and studied, in, you know, at Oxford or Yale. Yeah. And all what, but, you know, when, when that is poured into you, mm. you have no choice. Yeah. You have no choice. What's your excuse? You yes, know? yes. When, when, when they made it. So, you know, nothing else mattered. It was, it was never really about who had what in terms of car, house, this, that. That was never really something that came up growing up. Hmm. Instead, you know, the families that my dad praised were the families where, okay, this one went to King's College, hmm. God this, and, you know, look at, he's doing, he's doing chemical engineering here. This one became a doctor and this and that. And hmm. so, um, so that's, that's the influencer, I believe, is what pushed me because I really, you know, there was, there was no excuse I could give hmm. for not striving to, to be where I am today. So, you know, that's an interesting, um, that's interesting. You raise a thought. So I'm just curious because obviously both your parents were really driven and I've met them. I know them pretty well. They are lovely and really driven, you know, and uh, I can see that same driving you and your, your siblings as well. But I guess the question I have for you is, what was their reaction when perhaps you didn't do as well? Or maybe, yeah, not just their reaction. How did you take it? Was it a case of, oh, I got this C in this subject. What would my parents say? Or was it a case of, well, you know, let's just see what they say. How did they react as well? I guess it's two mm. questions. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes 100% sense. All I can say is trepidation. <laughs> when, you know, in Nigeria, we, we use, uh, you know, coming first or second or third exactly. in, in, instead of, so yeah, there was the great system in terms of, did you get a 90 or 99, but, but it was really what position you had. And if I was not, and even, you know, my dad would say, no one ever told you you must confess to, <laughs> but somehow growing up um, in primary school and even in secondary school, if I was not first, second or third, I was, they had to ask me for my report card. Yeah. I would definitely be hiding it. It was not a conversation I wanted to have. Mm. I assumed there would be doom. Um, and, you know, more from probably the, the fear of my dad's wrath mm. more than my mom. But till today, I still don't remember a particular conversation in which he actually said, if you don't confess, you know, don't even whatever. Mm. I actually mm. don't remember it, but somehow this natural fear of of just not being top of the class mm. was just always something I walked around with, mm. and I can't explain it a hundred percent. But like I said, I grew up in a house where stories were all about people who just reached for the stars and made it. So maybe that entered my subconscious growing up and created that fear. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I have to perform as well, right? So yeah, it makes mm-hmm. sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Did you did you guys speak Igbo growing up? Did you learn to speak Igbo at home? So growing up, it's interesting. We spoke, we didn't necessarily speak, as in the children didn't necessarily speak speak Igbo to each other or to my parents. Now, my parents would speak Igbo. So, you know, I grew up understanding Igbo Mm -hmm. and it probably got solidified more because I went to secondary school in the East, Mm -hmm. you know, where you and I went at Federal Luweri. And that probably, you know, helped those skills. But it was not, it was not really an expectation in our house growing up in Lagos that, um, you know, you would, if they spoke to you, you would answer back to me, but I don't, it wasn't really 
as enforced. Let mm-hmm. me put it that way. But mm-hmm. as children, we understood it. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And what about your kids? Did you um, <laughs> and I laugh because <laughs> I think we're all in the same boat, <laughs> trying to get our kids to yeah. speak Hebrew. Do they speak? Are you? Is this something that you're making a conscious effort to teach them? What are some of the ways that you're introducing them to the culture? So, um, in terms of speaking Igbo, you know, it has to start with us, right? Mm-hmm. As in the parents in the house, <laughs> me and my husband, are we speaking Igbo even to each other? <laughs> so, so we already know that that angle is, you know, we already knew that that would that it's not a natural part of what we of how we communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Probably because our Igbo is not that strong mm-hmm. for starters. Mm-hmm. However. Um, one thing that I try to do consciously, the first thing is when I speak to my kids, I speak with a Nigerian accent. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's natural to want to kind of speak back in an American accent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always make sure that, you know, intonation, mm-hmm. whatever it is when I'm speaking, it is with a Nigerian accent. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, trying mm-hmm. to inject a little ego. So they, would, they know Ndo, they know yeah. Biko, they, right. they know Hafumaka. Right. They, they hear Chineke in various, you know, <laughs> Chineke when happy, Chineke when, hmm, look at what this child has done. So, so they, they know, <laughs> they, they know phrases like that. Mm. Um, and I did get them to learn how to recite the Lord's Prayer in Igbo. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, so, so the first two can, the, the last child is always like, huh? So I don't even know if they, they probably don't know what they are reciting. Mm. They know that it's the Lord's Prayer and they can say it in their American version of Igbo. Mm. So those are some of the ways yeah. to try to inject a little Nigeria into yeah. them. And I know you guys go home quite a bit. You go home to the East quite a, li- quite a bit. How often do you travel home? So we usually travel every other year. Okay. Uh, but I think um, so. Last year and the year before, we went we went back to back years um, because of events that that took us back to back years. But that's what we try to do. Um, we don't always make it to the east. Mm. So when we go, we we may stay in Lagos with one of my siblings lives there, um, or we go to Portacos where the parents, you know, where my parents and my in laws live. But mm-hmm. we don't always make it to the east. Um, but you know, one thing that that definitely I, I am somewhat proud of is that my children are very current with Nigerian pop music. <laughs> At least they, they, I don't know if you say a great thing, but there is, there is no Niger top 40, let's just say, mm-hmm. on YouTube mm-hmm. that if they hear it, they wouldn't be able to sing the rest of the song. <laughs> and I did that consciously because I felt um, if I'm not teaching them the language and if we don't live there, then I can only... We can only do it through the art, food, exposing them as much as we can. So that's just one way that I try to get them to know the songs a little so that even when they're in Nigeria, it's something that they can, they have in common with their cousins. They can at least sing the songs together. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, it's a struggle for all of us, right, who live in the diaspora, whether it's the UK or the US, and we're trying to bring up our kids and keep the culture alive. It's tough, but we do what we can. And and I guess, uh, and someone else had said this on another episode, that we don't realize just how much we're doing, you know, and just how much they're absorbing. You know, you do what you can, and and little by little, you know, every every little bit helps. So I was going to say that the the other thing that, um, the other thing that, 
we do, or rather something that a bunch of friends and I did was to start a a Nigerian dance troupe for our daughters in the Howard County area. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, my daughter dances with a dance troupe called Wazovia Stars. Nice. And, um, and it was just born out of the fact that, you know, we, we have daughters in various schools and we would go to their international nights. And, you know, African dance was not necessarily on the list. There were other performances, um, including Asian performances, among others. And um, there just were so few mm. Africans, particularly, and few Nigerians yeah, yeah. Um, that, you know, we just couldn't really um, be among those performing. But we realized that there is power in numbers. So mm-hmm. if you have two girls in one school, two girls in another school, four girls in another school, before you know it, you have eight dancers. Um, and so we, we were able to create a group together and um, and we perform at the various school international night performances, mm. and um, and it's been good. The girls are bonding. Um, we nice. have them put posters where they you know they have to put little um, comments about Nigeria on the poster, um, oh. and they wear the outfits. They they oh. wear the beading, the coral. Wow, yeah, so. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> yes. great. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah. So you're doing a lot more than you think, you know. So you're doing a great job. Right, no. ah, that's well, great. Little by little. Little by little. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I've already introduced you to the audience and they know that you're a doctor. So we'll transition a little bit uh, into that. I wanted to ask you, what made you decide to go into medicine? Was it expected of you? Because again, your parents are so driven, highly educated, really successful in the academic field. Or was it something that you really wanted to do? I'm really curious, Ada. <laughs> you know, eh, the, the truth is, I wanted to be a journalist. <laughs> I, that, that is what I, that is, I saw myself in the Amazon interviewing <laughs> indigenous people. I, you know, that was in my head in primary school. Hmm. So when, when it, you know, around secondary school, probably towards, maybe from three, from four, when, you know, that line is drawn between those who are more geared towards sciences, arts, math, and all whatnot. You know, my dad was like, oh, you know, you're doing well in the sciences and biology (laughs) and everything. What do you want to do? I said, well, I want to be a journalist. (laughs) You know, and he said, oh, okay. Well, let's start with you being a doctor. Uh, Because, you know, (laughs) you're good in the sciences. And I'm sorry, I wanted to infuse journalism <laughs> into, into the doctor. So, I, before I knew it, though, the career was formed. Oh so um, I, I do love it, but I, I would be lying if I said it was my first love mm. and that that is, you know, the career path that I saw myself um, in those early days. No, it was definitely shaped very much by my dad. <laughs> it's it's funny this is this is a common theme i'm hearing you know amongst uh some of the people that i've interviewed who either did not end up doing medicine but didn't know how to tell their parents or or yeah. law or whatever or entered a profession yeah. and you know for whatever reason it being their parents but i can totally relate you know uh, um, yeah. you know being nigerian being Igbo, i think it's a nigerian thing not necessarily an Igbo mm-hmm. thing 
where our parents I think so too. and they want the best for us you know and they're like yeah journalism will that will you get how much are you gonna make doing that you know they really want the best it's coming from a place of wanting the best but I think it's it's funny so <laughs> yeah and I joke with my you know I joke with my parents all the time which is you know what what would have happened if a child starts a path that their parents want for them and then they are not successful in it mm. and they really don't know how to retrace their steps back to go into another career or or you know they don't have a plan b mm. and um and you know it's something that you in nigerian parents like as we we're saying it's not necessarily evil. in nigerian parents is that is your plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Don't worry, you will stick to it. When you fall, you get up, dust yourself off. But um, but as a parent now, um, definitely more. Uh, I'm I'm more open-minded about my husband and I are very open-minded about you know where wh- whatever it is that our kids' talents take them to. If it's something that they will find passion in, mm-hmm. if it's something that they are so interested in right now that they are willing to put in the time and the effort. You know, is it really wise to now say, you know what, maybe not that. Yeah. Maybe you should do this. So, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting you talk about your love for journalism because I know that you started a group called Common Ground. Um, I know this because I'm one of the members. So I wanted to know what made you start Common Ground. Was that because of your love for journalism and just being out there and talking to different people? What inspired you to to start the group? First of all, tell the audience what Common Ground is and why you decided to start the group. Okay. So Common Ground Network is a, you can call it a network, you can call it a, a forum, you can call it a, a group of women in the DMV area. So that's D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are right now about 50 to 60 women strong. Hmm. Uh, we started out in 2005 with the premise that, um, you know, everyone needs a community to learn, to laugh, to share, where it doesn't feel awkward learning a new thing. And also you can, you know, you can make friendships that will last. Mm-hmm. But also within that group of professionals, you have a natural network for mentorship, for mm. questions, for career guidance, among other things. So really it was just to create this forum to allow all this happen in a safe space. Mm. Mm. And um, you were asking how it started. So um, come on, ground started in 2005. So it, it, the, the origin was, I'll just say, multifactorial. Um, I have two friends, Obonne um, Obiaya and Lindsay um, Rotini, and they started a group in the New York area. This was maybe 2003. And they called it Blue Stockings. And it was just um, almost like a brunch series, if you want to call it that. And I went to a couple of their meetings. One meeting was brunch in someone's home. By then, I had moved to D.C. from New York City. So I went back mm-hmm. um, to, to New York. And it was brunch. And they were talking about the effects of a credit score, hmm. as in your credit score number, what that means in your, for your buying power um, when buying a home, a car, um, myths about credit scores, you know, just something that you've kind of heard about. You don't really know a whole lot about it. And here you are having, you know, an omelette and a muffin <laughs> and juice and someone is coming to speak to you yeah. for free. 
Yes. And so yes. I went to that and it was it was so enlightening to me. And then the then I went to another session that they had, which um people, you know, it was at a time when people were buying and flipping homes mm-hmm. and selling. This was mm. before the bubble. Right. And so um a couple of people from HUD or HUD, whatever it's called, um, came to speak about the whole process of buying a home, mm. um, as in, you know, from, from seeing the house, the closing, what to be aware of with legal contracts mm. and all that stuff, especially mm. if you're flipping. So, mm-hmm. so that was kind of always in the back of my head, like, wow, this is wonderful. I learned so much. So that was number one. And then the other thing was I was a transplant from New York. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was in mm-hmm. New York for, for med school and residency. Got used to a lot of fun New York things, um, including going to shows and poetry readings and things like that. And, you know, I moved here to start working. I did have a family base here. But, you know, at the time, I, I didn't necessarily have that network of individuals mm. who, if I wanted to do those kinds of things, I would be able to do it with. So mm-hmm. it came out of a couple of things. Number one was, wow, women can learn so much from each other mm. and it can be done for free. You can find someone to come and talk mm-hmm. for free and someone can host in their home. That was number one. Number two was, if you are new to a town or a city and you don't have that built-in network through your school mm. or your church or mm. your village group, you don't really have that cluster of of friends to learn things with Mm. and even do fun things with, Mm. Um, you know, how do you create that space? Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really born out of that. And it was as simple as, okay, I know this person. This person is my in-law, like Ugochi. (laughs) You know, this is, you know, I just kind of say, okay, can you come to my house? February in 2005, can we all get together and figure this out? Mm-hmm. And um, and that's that's kind of how it took off. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. What are some of the challenges though? Because I know Common Ground, it's it's a women's <laughs> networking forum uh, with all the different things that come with that. So, what are some of the challenges? <laughs> With, yeah. uh, you know, maintaining a networking forum and, and dealing with different personalities. Yeah. Ah, glad you asked. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think one, one thing that has come up a lot is what are you guys about? I, you know, mm. there, there are people who, when they come into a space, they, they kind of want to know, are you a professional organization? As in, mm-hmm. you know. Are you sort of like where I can come and I can get help with my CV and you can help mm. me find work? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, we could do some of that. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's always that, you know, people who email and ask, what is our mission statement? Mm. And, it, you know, and I say, you know, you, you will have your professional organizations. We are here to be a mix of all that, mm-hmm. um, to also be your, your social place so where you can get some career advice. Mm. And so that's number one. Number two, because we don't necessarily do um, collect dues, um, it, is, it takes a lot of creativity to, number one, find someone who will host in their homes. And Ugochi, you are still by far my, my most hosting host <laughs> of all time. I'm, so, you know, I'm always very proud of that. Um, so, but, but, you know, not everyone is as, um, as willing mm-hmm. to open their homes to maybe 20 women mm-hmm. and, and um, be responsible for, for the bulk of what they will eat during the meeting. <laughs> um, and then, you know, if the other 
um, challenge is also finding presenters. No, we're yeah. not necessarily offering an honorarium. Right. So right. they are definitely high-profile topics mm. that there are wonderful panelists and speakers out there who we would like to get. Mm. But we know that, you know, we have to find people through people who yes. know them and can convince them to come mm. and talk to us for free. That's true. And, um, and the other challenge is staying hip, staying modern, um, you know, being able to bring in social media um, but in a way that people still feel it's a safe space that's private. Mm, that, that kind that of challenging sense. to bring yeah. that out. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. So speaking of that, where do you see it going in the future? Do you want to maintain it as it is? Because it's great as it is. Or do you have certain things you'd like to achieve going forward? Yeah. So um, one thing for sure is, you know, you, you, you haven't really arrived until you're helping others. So yeah. one area that we have got to get into is mentorship and advocacy. I was mm. proud of our gala night that we did mm-hmm. in 2015, where we were able to um, to raise money for the Sickle Cell Foundation mm-hmm. in Baltimore. And I, I you know, I, that was a very, I thought that it was a wonderful cause, especially with the bulk of our members being Nigerian or mm-hmm. African. Um, I thought that sickle cell was, you know, an important cause. And, you know, they don't necessarily get the huge donations. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. get the bulk of research dollars. Um, so we did that. But that's definitely where we're also heading, which is to mentor young women mm. um, who may not know where they should be going next, what career path they should take, mm. or even socially know how to carry themselves. Mm-hmm. And we have so much. We have so much power in this group. We have so many individuals who are high achievers Mm -hmm. in many areas, not just professionally. And so, so yes, that's, that's a big part. And then, um, and then the other is really to be able to become a nonprofit organization so that Mm. um, when we start becoming more charitable, people who donate can, you know, donate in a tax deductible way. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the areas that we're going to grow into in the next couple of years. Amazing. Uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 a great it's a great forum. I, I for one, have, have learned so much from the different panelists and people that we've had. So obviously all this <laughs> networking and connecting and, and this forum, you know, lead the audience to assume that you are an extrovert, correct? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I know you and I have had many conversations. <laughs> So talk to us about how you derive, because yeah, we've had a lot of conversations and you know, you're an extrovert, I'm an introvert and I see you and I'm like, my goodness. So talk to us about how you derive pleasure from connecting people and interacting with people, because I really believe it's your passion, unless you tell me otherwise, I just get that impression. So tell us about that. Well, so, you know, I enjoy people. Um, let, let's just put it that way. I know some people describe extroverts as people who get that, that you know, plug in, like they get recharged mm-hmm. by interacting with many people. Yeah, I like my solitude time as well. But <laughs> I, I will say I definitely enjoy um, being around people, especially people I know, um, people who I can, you know, as they say, wear your pajamas, wear your socks, have a, mm-hmm. a glass of wine and juice mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, I, I have realized over the years that it's not difficult for me to meet new people. As mm. in, I'm, I'm able to, you know, interact 
you know, mingle, move around, work a room, as they call it. Mm. It's it's not it's not hard. I don't I don't have any particular anxiety, especially if it's in a social setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yes, but but I still I still enjoy downtime with my family. Mm. Um, I like game night with my kids. I derive the most um, pleasure there. But mm. definitely, yes, I am able to, you know, I can, I can talk to a group of individuals, I can cajole them, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, definitely just and laugh, so I don't find that difficult. So, yes, if that, if that makes me an extrovert, I guess I am. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing also, Ada, and I can say this because I know you pretty well, so if you don't mind, yeah. I also know that you're, you're, you're sensitive as well. So, mm-hmm. when I say sensitive, I don't mean it in the bad way, like, oh, this person upset yeah. me, you know, but you do tend to also be in tune with people's I guess feelings or perceptions and you know you you seem to pick up quite a bit which is interesting because my impression of extroverts is that oh they just kind of bamboozle their way through you know and they just talk and they're just social you know and even if the other person is exhausted you know they can't pick up so tell us about that I mean I could be wrong let me know if I am but I don't think I am so tell us about yeah no you're, you're not wrong and I think it's probably the difference between someone who enjoys being with people versus kind of the, the life of the party, you know, <laughs> what's, yeah. hip, what's next, yeah. which, which for me, I feel like is the, the very extreme version of an extrovert. Mm. So for me, um, you know, and it's interesting, the, the, um, in Nigeria, I definitely wasn't as comfortable um, before I came to America. So mm. maybe there's still that part of me. I wasn't necessarily comfortable speaking um, with a whole lot of people, mm. and maybe that's part of what makes me sensitive. Mm-hmm. So yes, I I definitely find that I can tell when someone is even as we are jitting and laughing in a crowd. Or I can definitely tell when someone is either um, I don't know either taking offense mm. or or I think that something someone else is saying is making someone feel down and I want mm. to swoop in <laughs> and rescue them yeah. and, um, mm-hmm. and all that. And you and I have thought about it. I think sometimes people mistake extroverts, if, if I'm going to claim that, mm. but people mistake an extrovert to not necessarily be someone that they can connect with one-on-one. And I, and I feel that, you know, people may be missing out on some really good friendships Mm. um, because the fact that someone enjoys people doesn't mean that someone cannot be a good sister friend, cannot Mm. be a good confidant, Mm. cannot be someone who you can trust Mm. with Mm. um, your, your deepest secret, but you know, so Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a balance, right? Yeah. Being able to enjoy people, but also um, being a sensitive soul. Yeah, that, that's. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually that's a really good point. I'm glad you raised that. One of the other things I love about you, Ada, and you know, the audience can already tell, <laughs> is that you keep it real. There are no airs. You're not fake in any way. You know, you just you just take me as you see me. You're very unassuming and down to earth. What do you think is behind this? Um, I think a lot of this is just um, number one. It's the way I grew up. Like mm-hmm. I grew up in in a, in a house where, you know, it, it just was never about things. I can't really describe it. Mm-hmm. It was just it wasn't about what people had. My my mm. parents are extremely humble. Mm. Very humble. Um, very into helping everyone, as mm. I'm sure is the story with many people and their families, mm. where, you know, just half of their village 
you know, was was raised or went to school yeah. on, on the backs of yeah. our parents, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I just can't imagine how else I would be. I'm also a nerd. I think that's the other thing, which most people don't realize. Mm. I am a goofy nerd. Mm. And we nerds, we can't, you know, I don't know, where are we being fake now? What are we going to do to be fake? We will keep on showing our hands because in the end, we are, we are still nerds at heart. Yeah, so, yeah, So I true. think that may be maybe part of it that's true that's true that's true i mean it's a a good good quality to have you know something i guess we could all learn from so it's great tell me about your favorite books because i know you like to read but i think you listen to audiobooks in the car so talk to me about a couple of your favorite books or maybe just one if you have it right so quite a few um ah yeah so um i love yes and usually audiobooks um, and, you know, for the cheapo person I am, it's whatever is on CD is the library. So I know, I know there are many ways that, that you can get access to audiobooks, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm still the cheap person who is still in the library putting their name on the wait list for a popular audiobook. Yeah. Six months later, the library will call me. It's ready. So um, I, I loved A Fine Balance by Rohinson Ministry. Mm. Loved it, Absolutely. Um, and and then two of my my just wonderful Nigerian authors. I love say you're one of them by Uwe Makban. Yes. Loved it. It was a collection of yes. stories. I, uh, yes, I read that. I did read that. It was amazing. That was, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, it was amazing. And um, Purple Hibiscus is still my favorite of Chimamanda's books. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Purple Hibiscus mm-hmm. by far to me is yes. the one that I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, and then another one that I still remember very well was. Um, the Space Between Us by Suriti Umbregar. She's yes. had a few more books after that, but yes. loved it. Yes. And then White Teeth by Zoe Smith. Wow. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, Those are some amazing. of my favorites. Amazing. Yeah. So I'll I'll put that in the show notes so the readers can uh, grab a copy, even if it's a CD from the library as well, <laughs> to listen to. From the library. <laughs> Talk to me about advice for your 20-year-old self. What do you wish someone had told you when you were much younger or if you met someone who was young and they were coming up, what advice would you give them? So to my 20-year-old self, um, my advice would be, that you will do just fine. Mm. You know, you'll be okay. Don't be anxious. Don't have any angst. Um, you'll be okay. Mm. You know, just keep mm. on doing what you like to do. Just mm. keep on moving one leg in front of the other. You'll be okay. Mm. Now for, you know, for others or rather for, you know, 20 year old coming up, you know, the, the one thing I, I wish I had done was actually to just pause and really reflect on who am I? Hmm. What am I good at? And where would I like to go? You know, there just never seems to be that space for that. Mm. Um, maybe because of the way we grow up, you know, you're just kind of barreled through the plan your parents have made, whether mm. it's when you come to America, whether you're going to be going to school or grad school. Mm. Um, it, it's, never, it's never something that you're, you're doing intentionally. Mm. And it's something that, you know, the more I, I listen to what life coaches say, it, it's just even at age 20, you can take a minute mm. and just say, okay, where am I going? Mm. What am I good at? And, mm. and where do I need help? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. So what's next, Father? 
what skill is still unmastered <laughs> that you would like to acquire? <laughs> you know, what's next? I think you've done pretty well, but I yeah. know if I know you, I know you want to keep growing and learning new things. So yeah. tell us a little bit yeah. about that. <laughs> so, it, it's, um, so, you know, I, I want to get closer to Christ. Mm. I, I, and I mean, you, you know, my story, you, you're, you're there with me. We are, we are growing mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, it's just something that um, I don't believe I have put the same level of focus and intention as I have done with other things. Hmm. And so it's something that, you know, it plagues me. It's there in my mind hmm. all the time. Like, okay, okay. The same way you look and say, okay, this is the path I want to go in the next five years, career-wise. Hmm. This is what my professional development should look like. This is the kind of leadership program I want to be in. Hmm. You know, come on ground. This is what I would like to do. Hmm. Um, to be able to put that intensity and focus into strengthening my walk with Christ hmm. is, is a big, it, it's in my head. <laughs> It's, mm. it's something that my heart is yearning for, mm. and it, it's something that I am very focused on. Mm. Um, and the other is also really just, um, I, I know it's interesting to hear an extrovert say this, but to actually dial it down a bit <laughs> and to be more, you know, I don't know if the word is insular, because I heard someone use that phrase, and you know, but really to just, um, to really put more focus on my family time mm. to mm. do that. Mm. And it doesn't mean areas, other areas won't grow, mm. but to make sure that above all things, mm. um, I, I, you know, my walk with Christ continues mm. to grow, but also that, that family time comes first. Mm. Mm. That's such an amazing way to end this discussion. I've had so much fun talking to you and, uh, it's just nice for the audience to hear a little bit about you and, 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 get to know a little bit about what I love about you so much. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. As always, thank you for listening today. Please remember to check out my website for the list of favorite books that Ada recommended. Again, the website is www.vebo.com. As always, a reminder to please subscribe in iTunes to receive automatic downloads. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.